Father, as we bow before you and open up your holy word, I pray that you will cause our hearts to listen and comprehend and respond in faith. Lord, may we clearly see the beauty and the glory, the majesty and the perfection of the one we call Savior, whose birth we celebrate. And it's in his wonderful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Elmer Klein worked at a bakery back in 1921, and he was given the task of finding a name for the new loaf of bread that they had invented. He was struggling to capture just the right name that would be catchy and help sales. It was during this time that he attended the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, see the drama of that race, and while there, noticed hot air balloons that they were launching to celebrate that event. And he remembered watching those balloons and being filled with awe and wonder. And it stuck. I'll call it Wonder Bread. And that's exactly what he did. And to this day, as far as I know, that loaf of bread is decorated with colorful balloons. The word wonder means this sense of awe and admiration. But it's kind of sad that we reserve it for a loaf of bread or even a hot air balloon. It seems to be the very word that was on the hearts and minds of people that first Christmas often translated in our English Bibles by the word marvel. So when the angel came to Mary and said that you were going to be with child, she marveled at the appearance of the angel. And when she heard from the shepherds who saw angels in the heavens and marveled at the announcement they were given and went to see the child in the manger in Bethlehem, Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And when they spread the message, everyone marveled. Because the miracle of the birth of Jesus Christ is an astounding wonder. And I hope we never get over it. That's why I'd like to invite you to the book of Galatians chapter 4. To look at the wonder of the birth of Christ as the Apostle Paul gives us insight. Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading with verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, or when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. The first thing I notice when I read this text of scripture is the wonder of perfect timing. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The revised English Bible uses the word appointment. At the appointed time, God sent his son. That's a great concept. It was fixed by the father before the foundation of the world. The providence of God has perfect timing and it was an appointment set in the calendar of God himself. 
It reminds me of the story of Simeon who was in the temple eight days after Jesus was born and God told him that he would not die until he saw the salvation of Israel. And he was led by the Spirit into the temple at the very moment when Mary and Joseph came to dedicate their new boy to follow the rites of the law. And with perfect synchronization, they met in the temple and Simeon saw the child and recognized him and took him in his arms and gave glory to God. And here, he said, is the salvation of all people. God's timing is always perfect. The fullness of time. Uh, Dr. Warren Worsby gave us this insight. He said the old religions were dying in that day. The old philosophies were empty and powerless. Strange new mystery religions were invading the empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere. You see, God was preparing the world for his son. The Roman Empire had brought about grand innovations. They took their empire and filled it with good roads and trade routes so that you could travel quickly. And because of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, you could travel relatively safely anywhere in the world because Rome owned the world. And also at that time to develop a social collectiveness, there was a language of commerce. It was the Greek language. And that happens to be the very language that the Bible is written in, in the New Testament, when Jesus was born. In the fullness of time, all of these events orchestrated by divine providence so that Jesus is born at the right time. Mary could say, it's time. <laughs> The fullness of time. Isn't that an amazing concept? Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. And when he comes to this earth, John says he's full of grace and truth. And he's born at the fullness of time. The birth of Christ was not an accident. It was a divine appointment. But not only was this the fullness of time, I suppose as a Jewish spectator longing for the Messiah, you would say, wow, this took a long time. 2,000 years from the promises given to Abraham that God would bless all the nations through his seed. 2,000 years before Jesus came. That's a long time. And 700 years before the birth of Christ, you've got the prophecies of Isaiah predicting a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. And a son, a child will be born. A son will be given. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. And the Jewish people are filled with expectation of their coming Messiah saying, when is he going to come? When is he going to come? And they waited generation after generation because it wasn't time. And I'm sure they bemoaned the fact over and over, I wish the Lord would just come. Things are so bad. You ever said that? Did you know that Jesus is coming again? And it's been 2,000 years since his birth. That's a long time. 
And generation after generation waits. Lord, where's the promise of your coming? Scoffers will say. Why don't you come? The world is so bad right now, Lord, and it's getting worse. Why don't you even so come, Lord Jesus? But it's not time. I actually know exactly when Jesus is going to come again. (laughs) Say it with me, in the fullness of time, right? I get so tired of the people who predict it's going to be this year or next year, or it has to be now. You don't know, but things are bad. They've always been bad. And when things are relatively good in America, they're often very, very bad for believers in other parts of the world. Why do we interpret the Bible through American lenses? I hope Jesus comes today. But he may not come for a long time. But he's going to come at the appointed time. And isn't it interesting, all of God's appointments in our life are always perfectly on time. We may be chronically late, but God never is. That's a hard concept for us, because you and I project upon God the persona that we experience in human relationships. And so we think, well, you know, occasionally, just maybe once, God would be late, but he never is. He's always on time. And yet I look at my life and I long for something to happen now. I have an agenda and I have a calendar connected with it. And I pray to God, Lord, here's my agenda, fulfill it. And here's my calendar, make sure you're not late. And he says to me, oh really? I've got a plan. And you need to follow my time. In your time, Lord, in your time. Help me from day to day as you're showing me your way that you do just what you say in your time. Mark of Christian maturity is that we patiently wait on the timing of God. So it was a wonder because it was the perfect time. It was also a wonder because of the incredible process God sent his son, born of a woman. Those two phrases together are indeed amazing. The divine side, God, sent his son. And the human side, Messiah, is born of a woman as a baby. So that Jesus is going to have a dual nature. Did you ever think about that? He's perfectly God, and he's perfectly man, and yet without the sin that is transferred from, uh, from father to father, to father to son, from generation to generation. The seed is different because Jesus is the seed of the woman, not involved with the seed of man. Because of the divine birth, the, the virgin birth. The process is amazing. God loves to do things In process. Did you ever think about that? He created the world in seven days. Why seven? Well, it takes a long time to create everything. Of course not. That's foolish. 
He could have spoke and worlds would have come into being, but he took his time. He created man out of the dust of the ground, formed this human being, and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, which probably included soul and all the internal organs and whatever else. I don't know how he did it, but it was a process. God loves a process. He healed the blind man in the New Testament with a process. He didn't just touch his eyes or didn't just say you're healed. I mean, he could do that. And at times he did miracles like that. But he said, let me heal you. And he bent down and he took a little uh, dirt and he spit in the dirt and made a mud compound and said, now put this on your eyes. And I would have said, no, thank you. You know, I'm a bit germophobic, and the idea of you spitting into mud, put it, nah, I don't think so. But you, when you know who Jesus is, and you understand his process, you say, okay, I'll get along with the program. Now go to the pool and wash. Can I just get sight here? Go to the pool. So he goes to the pool. And he comes away. What do you see? I see men like trees. We're not done yet. There's more of the process. Did you know that God works in your life through a process? There are miracles connected to a process. I want it now. That's what, my, that's what little children say. And yet we do the same thing with God. I want it now. But God's working in process. And so here's this miraculous birth. It has to be so. Jesus born of a woman, a virgin. Predicted by Isaiah that a son would be born and fulfilled in Matthew's words, quoting Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, I love that phrase. God with us. With us in the sense of in us. God with us in the sense of among us. God with us in the sense of on our side. For us. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, When the eternal God stooped from heaven and assumed the nature of his own creature, who had rebelled against him, by the way, the deed could mean no harm to man. For God in our nature is not God against us, but God for us. That's Christmas. God on our side. Born of a woman. But he's also born under the law, which means he's Jewish. And he has a law to follow and obey. And it had to be so. There had to be a virgin birth. Jesus had to to be clothed and veiled in humanity. We've seen this in the book of Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he could break the power of the one who held us in the clutches of death. But he had to be born under the law. Why? If he's going to save us, he has to keep the law that we have broken. We can't get into heaven without perfection. We can't get into heaven without righteousness, without a flaw. 
perfect law keeping. And none of us have done that. One sin breaks the whole law. But Jesus kept the law. He was born under it and obeyed it perfectly. Every jot and tittle. And I want you to know that the divine nature of Christ and his virgin birth and the law keeping of Jesus, perfect obedience to the law, is just as important as the cross. Because if he went to the cross without being virgin born, or he went to the cross without perfect obedience, his offering to God would be deficient. No man can redeem his brother or give to God a sacrifice for him. But God can, the God-man. Don't you see how perfect the process is? How incredible and fantastic and amazing? Aren't you filled with wonder that God became a man to save mankind? But that's not all. You have the wonder of perfect timing, the wonder of the incredible process, and the wonder of redemptive purpose. For we're told here that God sent his son in the fullness of time to redeem those who are under the law, to redeem. Redemption means to buy back. It means something that once was yours and has been lost. And now you are buying back again. You're paying a price to recover. God created us for his own. And we sinned. Our own actions separated that relationship with God. And we were lost. But God sent his son to buy us back. Redemption. To break the shackles of sin and give us freedom. God had a goal in mind. And we must always connect the crib and the cross. Because the birth of Christ always had purpose. His goal was to redeem. And not just stop there, but to adopt. So that we might have, this is verse 5, we might have the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit into your hearts, the, the spirit of his son into your heart. And the spirit is the one who teaches us to cry out, Father, dear Father, Abba. We're given a high privilege. Sons of the inheritance. Men and women who are children of God are put onto that level of an eldest son who gets the inheritance. And his goal was to redeem us so that he might adopt us as his own. His goal was blessing. And so the promise through Abraham that through his seed the nations of the world would be blessed is narrowed down in the book of Galatians to the seed, that is the seed of the woman, that is Jesus himself, and blessing comes through Christ alone. Did you notice there are two verbs here that are identical, sent? God sent his son, we call that Christmas, 
and God sent his spirit, we call that Pentecost. And when the spirit came in to the church and birthed the people of God, they then had the right to be called the children of God and to cry out to him as Abba. Once we trust him, we are his children. And with his spirit, we are indeed his adopted sons. I love the music of this season, don't you? Um, you know, you get your smartphone and you put holiday songs in there. And when you do that, uh, you're, you're going to get a variety of things. You'll get holiday songs, songs focused on the season. It might be uh, Nat King Cole singing. Well, I love the mellow tones of his voice. I know it's traditional and, you know, there's a lot of more modern things, but I love to listen to him croon and sing those great songs. Or, or you might get a holiday song from Mannheim Steamroller that's a little more upbeat. And I like that too. And I apparently like to play it loud because my wife says, turn it down. <laughs> but that's the way you'll get into the song. But those are holiday songs. The best songs of the season are holy songs that focus on the sun. Now, I know the word holiday is supposed to mean holy day, but for us it means vacation. But holy songs refer to the sun. And many of the great songs we sing during this time of year connect the birth of Christ with the death of Christ. Did you know that? So, for instance, that haunting tune uh, that comes from an Appalachian carol. I wonder as I wander out under the sky why Jesus, our Savior, did come forth to die for poor, lonely people, ordinary people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander out under the sky. Birth and death connected. Or how about that great song, What Child Is This? William Dix's excellent words, sung often to the tune of the English uh, traditional carol, Greensleeves. What child is this who's laid to rest on Mary's lap is weeping? Whom, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King. But sometimes there's a verse of his wonderful hymn that we don't sing. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian, fear. For sinners hear the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. Why do we miss that, skip that, omit that verse? Does it make you uncomfortable? I get it. But the crib and the cross go together. Or how about in this beloved hymn, We Three Kings of Orient Are. One of the stanzas goes like this. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising all men raising. Worship him God most high. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume, breathes 
a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Birth of Christ, death of Christ together. I learned that song with my best recollection. Learned that song in a public elementary school. They don't sing it anymore. But we shouldn't forget. So Paul tells us who came, and he tells us when he came, and he tells us how he came, and he tells us why he came, and it's all there together, which would, should lead us to worship. Because Christmas leads to the cross, or is connected to the cross, and the cross leads us to what we experience today, communion. Worship. Surrender and devotion. USA Today did a survey a few years back about what makes the Christmas holiday important. And 97% top answer said buying presents. Number one answer. Number two was 85% of the people said having a tree. Number three, 68% said attending parties. Number four, 65% going to church. And get this, 33% of the people said Jesus makes the holiday important. 33%. We've forgotten whose birthday it is. I was at a birthday party this past week for one of my grandsons. I often told my kids, I'm not going to use you as a sermon illustration, but I never made that promise to my grandsons. (laughs) So one of my grandsons was having a birthday party, and one of the other grandsons was not very happy about it, because he wasn't getting anything. But how about if there's a big birthday party, and everyone else gets something except you when it's your birthday? (laughs) Now, God doesn't mope, but how tragic it is when we've totally forgotten the fact that this is all about Jesus. We obsess over finding the perfect gift to someone else, to give someone else. And a a perfect gift, it needs to be unique or special, and it needs to bring joy to the person who receives it. And it needs to have value, right? And some of us just give up finding the perfect gift and we just exchange gift cards because it's much easier. But God is in the business of giving the perfect gift. Do you ever think about that? James chapter one says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. 117 of James. Everything that's perfect in this world comes from the perfect God as a gift. Remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? And he says to her, give me a drink of water. And she's startled. And she looks at him and she says, you're a Jew. And I'm a Gentile or a Samaritan. A woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that asks you for a drink? You would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. See, Christmas is all about God's perfect gift, his son. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And that's why it is so wonderful, which is one of his names from Isaiah. The wonder of Christmas is God's love to rebels like us and the gift of his son that results in life forevermore. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us to see today that Christmas is a wonderful time for us to celebrate the grace of God and the goodness of God in sending us the greatest gift of all, his Son, our Savior and Lord. And while we cannot earn this gift, the proper response is to turn from our sin and by faith accept it. The free gift received by an act of sincere faith that results in the transformation of our heart and life. Oh Lord, thank you for the perfect timing and the incredible process and the redemptive purpose all behind Christmas. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.